What's up, everybody? This episode of the All Things Music podcast is sponsored by Koval's Custom Creations, your one-stop shop for apparel and clothing, custom home goods, custom t-shirts, essentially anything you want customized, you go to Koval's Custom Creations. Find their page on Facebook, that's C-O-V-E-L, Koval's Custom Creations, or their website, www.kovalscustomcreations.com. Use the promo code all things, capital A L L T H I N G S, for 10% off your first order. Again, that is all things for 10% off your first order. Koval's Custom Creations. You are now tuned in to All Things Music. Presented by Liquid Sound Records. Here are your hosts, Ryan Katz and Ian Illyrian. What's up? Welcome to another episode of All Things Music. I'm your host, Ryan Katz, here with Ian as usual. Um, thanks for listening last week. That was a really fun episode with uh, Danny Hayes from Danny Wimmer Presents. Um, seems like a lot of people checked it out, uh, according to our metrics. So really appreciative of that. Uh, how you doing, Ian? Good. How you doing, Ryan? I'm all right. Just, uh, another day, another dollar. So they say, um, the guest today is someone that, uh, I've listened to the music that he and his band created for years. It was part of my childhood and, uh, Someone that uh, honestly, I it's it's crazy because I know you know other guys from the band, but I have never met you personally. So it's great to have you here. Uh, we'd like to welcome in Mark Hunter from Chimera. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, yes, the the Metal Moses himself <laughs> is in the building. I want to kind of ask you about that first because I did not really realize what all went into. I mean, according to the internet which is the internet, but they say you popularized the wall of death. How accurate is that? I would say extremely. Okay. So wh- how, what what got you to do that? I mean, like, was it just one day I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool to see a bunch of people run into each other rather than just slam <laughs> in the pit. Well, I, I definitely didn't invent it. Right. Um, I saw it with hardcore bands and sick of it all. Like it was, it was predominant in the hardcore scene. Sure. Um, and we were touring and, uh, we were out with Lamb of God and it was, uh, us, Lamb of God and Treyu. And on that particular tour, um, Lamb of God were the headliners. And, but in Cleveland, we switched that night because at the time, um, you know, they weren't the Lamb of God they are now, a monstrous band. Um, so we were both similar sized bands at the time and, uh, that night it was just a special show and I just remembered it and it was, you know, a spur of the moment thing. Hmm. And uh, afterwards, R- Randy was like, man, that was awesome. Do you mind if I steal that? And I'm like, I didn't invent it. <laughs> right. Steal it. In hindsight, I would have been like, yeah, I fucking mind. Right. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I mean, you, you want to like almost be like, this is my baby. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, exactly. But we were doing it all over uh, OzFest and the festival circuit. Um, f- 
religiously basically for from 2003 through 2005 or something sure. like that. And I guess so. that's that's when you when the hardcore scene like Sick of It All or, or those other guys Agnostic Front all those dudes they generally play those small clubs where Right. It doesn't get the same kind of publicity that it would at, say, an Ozfest, Correct. where you do it. And yeah. so, other bands, I know at Ozfest, obviously they'll watch everybody almost every day, and they're like, "Man, that's a good idea. I might try that." And then Absolutely. it just, just you know, evolves from there. Yeah, and it's it's cool. It's not like something like where I'm I'm, you know, bitter about it, right. but it, it's. Uh, Interesting. Now I went on Instagram the other day, and I think Travis Scott had a wall of death, oh and it was just oh, like oh. this is just too ridiculous at this point. Where I could never see myself doing that again. No. <laughs> so, right. I mean, exactly. hey, shout out to you guys if you're still doing that. It's cool. Like, but yeah, I'm. That's like old old school. And it's better to be on stage yeah, watching yeah. it than <laughs> in, in it. it. Yeah, and there's yeah, always yeah. that that girl or that guy or whoever that. So it's like the first metal show, and they have no idea what's going on, and they're right. stuck in the middle, and it's like the Lion King, you know, Absolutely. when the, the, the stampede, and they're like, oh, well, there you go. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so first thing I kind of want to ask is, you know, being from Cleveland and being a band that really took off so quickly, um, how... As a as a local, I mean, because you your your time as a local band, I mean, a true local band was not nearly as long as some of these other bands. Uh, one, how overwhelming was that to just boom, you know, go from a local band to okay, now we're we're getting a deal from Roadrunner, and these other bands that are in the scene today, how? Can you, you know, can you kind of direct them or give them advice as far as, because I know a lot of these kids, especially today, want that instant gratification of, uh, you know, I'm com- I came out with an album, so where's my paycheck, you know? Sure. And how can you keep them grounded to, like, say, all right, it's going to take some time, and it's not always like Chimera was with, you know, boom, here we go. It's a different, it's a, just a different animal these days as well. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So... For us, I mean, we put in our hard work in bands that we were in before Chimera. So we were definitely, you know, 15-year-old kids lugging up our gear up the fantasy steps and all these, you know, we paid our dues. Um, And then I think that the biggest difference is we lucked out that the Internet, it was right on the verge of being an extremely powerful tool sure um but we kind of had a little bit of foresight within our group that we were able to see the power of it maybe Mm -hmm. before some some other people did and we use that to our advantage um and now it would be like people ask me all the time why i'm not doing music um I can't even wrap my head around how I would release it, mm-hmm. um, let alone uh, make money from it, it or right. make money from yeah. it. So there are ways, and there are you know, and then so I, that's that's the one side, and then I have the other side where I'm like, well, I just put a, I just listened to the so and so's album, they figured it out, sure, so they I mean, can do they, it, yeah, yeah. So like, there's that. So I think there's a bit of. Um, of having success a certain way, you start to potentially get um, nervous about 
doing it a different way. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes, you know, there was a certain, for the longest time, there was a certain template to Exactly, that. you could follow a blueprint. Right. And yeah, we were basically hamsters on a wheel. This is how it's going to go for this duration. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's it's completely different. But I still see extreme similarities of what was yes like you know, it's just kind of transported to a different format than you know whether it was sending out demos in the mail snail mm-hmm. mail you know sure. people don't do that anymore right or whether it was uh trying to get solicited material to radio stations it's just now it's everything everything is online and um it's easier and harder for bands these days because it's easier because it's just everything is just from a click of a button. You don't have to do all this crazy grassroots legwork that you used to have to do. However, because it's easier, the saturation of bands and other musicians and other genres, it's just you have way more competition because in in, in your era where you were you were coming up if you didn't work really hard from a non-electronical standpoint, non-technology standpoint, you know, you go door to door doing all these things, you just got weeded out of the group, you know, of, of, of the scene because you were just, okay, it's just going to be your hobby because this band's working twice as hard as you. They're going to get their word about their music more. Um, now, you don't really have to put forth, I don't want to say effort because that's kind of shortchanging a lot of what these new guys do, but it's sure. it's not the same type of effort is then so like it's just really hard for newer groups to really set themselves apart with that hard work alone like it was you guys yeah absolutely we didn't have well so we had capabilities of recording our own demos which you know obviously that's a a tool now that is you know we can do it on our phones Right. right but we have these little four tracks or eight track recordings but it was basically a tool utilized to flesh out ideas and where we we had to be an organic unit of individuals that met in a room together and created our music together. And um, even we started to become less interested in doing that as the technology progressed. And then now we're the guys all of a sudden that are writing in our bedrooms. And it's like, ah, I wonder if we're losing something because that magic of of being in the room <clears throat> together so i mean there are you know there's obviously individuals that can create excellent stuff by themselves in that room nine inch nails for example but there's also you know magic of when a group is together and what can be created and and that's what we thrived on and um so that's a that's a different total different ball game because then you, you're a band that has to find a, a rehearsal space unless you got somebody that parents you know because you're still in your like early 20s or whatever or if whatever so that becomes a challenge and then the challenge is okay now getting everyone to commit to meet every single time that there's a practice or or, and on and be there on time and to stay for the duration not oh i gotta go pick up so and so my 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 chick whatever it's gonna be so it took a lot of um dedication on everybody's part and and to hold that together for um, the beginning stages uh, is pretty remarkable because, um, yeah, it's like, all right, we're going to be here 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock after you've worked eight hours all day. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, 
Yeah, that's uh, so we were very lucky that this new medium of the internet was there and some of us had computers and the knowledge and then some of us uh, even had another foot in the door by um, having written blogs or associated themselves with other at the time they were called webzines which would now be like uh, the PRP for example sure. um, these are webzines back in the day and they're getting, uh, getting giving us reviews so there's that whole new quote unquote internet scene that really helped us um, get out of the local scene because we could do our thing locally and make make some noise at Peabody's or go to the grog shop and have a great show, but you're really only playing to 300 to 500 people, depending where you're at. Um, with the internet starting, we're like, man, there's kids in India listening to us. Yeah. And like, right. we just put the demo out. Like we understood the power of that and we knew how, um, cutting edge it was. And we were also in the era of Metallica saying hey you know stop that so we had this almost rebellious like no do that attitude because everyone was mad at Lars at the time I mean he was right but (laughs) you know if you're from that era you understand what I'm talking about like he came across as as you know almost ruining our new toy Mm -hmm. you know and or trying to ruin our new toy and we you you we we utilize that by spinning it in our favor and then record labels caught wind of that. Sure. So you can't repeat that success because it's a it's a, a time of that that just yeah, I mean the people that are maybe listening to this and if you're younger audience have, have only lived through the internet era. So mm-hmm. I have no idea what that I'm even ta- I sound like a dinosaur. So. <laughs> it's kinda like a one off thing, um, a generational type thing. Um, what's interesting is there's actually been a reinsurgence of like MySpace hmm. and locally, um, because I work locally with a lot of promoters and stuff, but more uh, with electronic music, which is kind of ironic about this. Um, but we're making flyers and like actual posters and stuff, and that type of promotion has been doing way better than the normal online internet promotion because I think that everything is so saturated and everybody lives in their phones 24-7 that seeing something new, which is old school to you, but new to people more my age and stuff, um, where it's kind of a different take. Um, You know, like how the 80s kind of come back and 90s come back and everything comes back in 10, 20 years. I think everything's coming back um, maybe in a more modernized old way, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I love. Yeah, like that's a great point. I didn't know that, mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool for me to learn. I'm I'm really detached from the music scene, so I want the audience to be aware of that. <laughs> like, especially like metal fans that are like, always that. What are you listening to? You know, um, Billie Eilish. <laughs> Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> or soundtracks. That's mainly what I listen to. But oh, yeah, that's no problem. But anyway. Uh, that's a great point and so I'm detached from the scene and I and I don't know that sort of thing and like I basically I'm in the phase of loving nostalgia and pulling out my boxes of toys and like and wanting to uh, feel the artwork again where I did go through a phase of I don't I just want everything digital why are you handing me a flyer (laughs) 
that I went through that phase and including just my own stuff, like stuff that I had around the house, you know, extreme, like minimalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's like, I find myself rediscovering a lot of the stuff I grew up with and that who made me, me and like, Oh yeah, that what, and I said it this morning uh, at a meeting I was at, but what's old is new again, that cliche, but it's totally, I could see, why that would be and and yeah like you're basically it's a digital who cares you're seeing it constantly Mm -hmm. scroll Um, up yeah you know i mean it's not to say that it it isn't exciting but i can say see how it's more exciting to get something now sure um and it's funny because so i knew the chimera name i was hmm, 13 14 years old when headbangers ball volume 2 came out Okay, and I I knew the name. I heard it around town. I know I was kind of an early bloomer as far as being a part of the scene, just being in bands, hitching rides from friends, parents, going to Peabody's and all that at a really young age. Um, but when I got Headbangers Ball Volume Two, you know, I was watching Josta all the time on TV doing it, and and you guys had have videos up, and and I heard Nothing Remains on the on the uh, B side of that album, uh, the CD. I mean, it's like. How often do compilation albums come out? They don't. I yeah. mean, they just don't exist. But that was one of the biggest ways in that era to discover new bands because you would listen, whether it was you know a record label putting out a compilation album, whether it was Roadrunner United, whether it was uh, all of these different uh, ways to hear bands that you normally wouldn't go to Best Buy or whatever and buy their album. Um, I, I cannot... It, tell you how many bands i discovered just from compilation cds so i think that's itself is kind of a lost art and it's a hard hard way to (laughs) it's so much easier now for people to pick and choose what they like and and i think it's hurting the scene a little bit because it's making people more narrow-minded as far as i only like this specific style this specific subgenre in this you know Hmm. big umbrella uh rather than you were forced to listen, whether you liked it or not, you know, at least once you were forced to listen to a song because on a compilation album, you don't, you know, I don't know who this guy is and this guy is. And I remember there's bands like Three Inches of Blood, 12 Tribes, Doom Borgier on that B-side alone that I was like, damn, this is right, this right. is legit now. So, I, you know, I think that's something that unfortunately we won't be able to get again. And I don't know if there's an answer hmm. to to find new bands that would normally get you out of your comfort zone and i just don't know yeah that's interesting well festivals are a good way especially in europe they mm-hmm. have a different much different scene we sure. would always play with so many different types of bands and then like you said you're you're forced to watch us mm-hmm. before 50 cent like <laughs> what is that crowd thinking yeah. of us right I, you yeah, know so that's a great question um that's a pretty cool way but yeah i loved compilations when we were younger uh before the band ever started in man we were just out of high school um we started a record label and one of the first things we did was made a compilation cd of like a bunch of hardcore bands and just putting that together was a lot of fun because we were picking and choosing the bands we wanted for it Mm -hmm. and then it was like then we would reach out and contact them and we had a we had a slight advantage because uh we had the um who we were doing it with was uh ben shiggle the guy that's produced our records Um, he had the studio, so Spider, right? yeah, Spider. So we could, we would maybe contact like the band Zayo, for example, mm-hmm. uh, when they're still a pretty new band, and we're like, we have this great pitch. Hey, can 
you know, they're in West Virginia. Can you guys come up to the studio, record a, a song for the compilation? We'll record it for free. You have the master awesome, for it right. and all that. And we're just going to put out the CD. And we established a lot of relationships with bands that way, which then helped our band. Like next yeah. thing you know, we're playing shows with some of these bands and, and getting familiarized with them. So that really put our foot in the door sure. too. Um, and yeah, that was one of the first... Like we always had that kind of entrepreneurial mindset with our mm-hmm. business and bands type of stuff. So like our first, you know, answer to get our band out there was to put out a compilation. We put ourselves like track four, and we're in the middle Bad of cleanup, right? Yeah, we're in the <laughs> middle of all this great music um, yeah. that we picked. And that was also popular at the time. It's a really good marketing strategy. I think some of the bands do. And we that didn't today. even think of that. We don't know what marketing sure, is right. at that time. We're just like, what? We can get the Spud Monsters? They're gonna come here and Hell record? Yeah. Like, Hell holy yeah. shit. And then next thing you know, we're hanging out with them and then we get to play a show with them. It's, it's like, kind of like wow. a you scratch my back, I scratch your back, but not in like a in a very, you know, loving way. And, yeah, we yeah. weren't trying to like it's not gonna make us a million dollars or anything. We just wanted to like do what our idols were doing and things like that. And like so Cleveland at the time had like Dark Empire mm-hmm. and they had the Dark Empire compilation. So we're literally ripping that off <laughs> and making our own version. And like we wanna get not just not Cleveland bands, we'll have bands. That's what our spin on it Kinda is. Kind of like your Midwest or whatever. Yeah, whoever we can even get. We even got some bands from Florida. Wow. We got, but there were a, quite a few Cleveland bands. And uh, I mean, if you search high and low, maybe if you look up for the Uprise Records compilation, maybe hmm. you'll find. <laughs> I bet you. <laughs> maybe you could. you'll find what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, that was, that was us. And we put that out and uh, put out a couple other records like our. We were lucky, too, and it was just a different time. I don't know, in, in the 90s, like, everyone had a band. So, like, all our friends had bands. Mm-hmm. So we would put on shows with each other, and we'd rent out venues, or we'd go to, like, open mic night. At, we like, oh, this there was a venue called the Red Eye in North Royalton, and they hmm. always had a, a Thursday night. Anyone can come up and play. Like, all five bands would just, like, go up there and, like, just wow. take over the spot and, like... And then the high school kids would come up, like we're all friends. So like this band's group, they, they're like the sophomores. So they're bringing all the sophomores. Then we have a band with, of juniors, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we would, you know, blow the place out. It's awesome. It was really cool. That's really cool. You can't, I, I, does that even, ha- do people even play shows anymore? Uh, well, they play shows <laughs> for sure. But uh, as far as that, the open mic type of. Yeah, I can't see that happening. Yeah. Now it's open decks. Yeah, decks. Open decks. Oh, like DJ. Right, right. right. Got it. Everybody's DJs. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Yeah. No one plays in real bands anymore. Yeah. That's interesting. Hey, I do. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Tom Hazer. Sure. Uh, someone who actually was an integral part in me just sitting here today as far as he was one of my music mentors. I've never met the, per- the guy in person, ever. But when he was doing uh, Total Assault and Corporate Punishment and all those things that are related to Chimera and him being one of your you, you know managers, liaisons, however you want to uh, title it, uh, he just is somebody, at least probably around the real early 2000s, was somebody who was always willing to extend his hand and help. And um, his, his expertise 
has launched so many groups, Limp Bizkit, Corn. I mean, has helped you guys. He's uh, Corey Taylor. He's friends with. I mean, tell me about your experience with him because I know the band has some experience with Tom Hazard in the past. Sure. Uh, so, I believe, like I, I mentioned earlier, that uh, some of us were tech savvy and in the webzine world mm-hmm. and everything like that. That was uh, Chris from our band, Spakuza, the mm-hmm. keyboardist. And if my memory serves me correctly, he met Tom through the internet, basically. Okay. And I believe Chris sent our CD to Tom. Yeah, no, he had to have, because who else would have? Right. No one else knew him. <laughs> um, I'm figuring, man, I'm, I should be the next Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Um, yeah, so Tom at the time was connected and, and working with artists and and stuff like that. And ha- he was very instrumental in helping us get to the stage of our Roadrunner deal mm-hmm. and helped us. Um, so it was difficult for us because we had signed uh, an independent deal uh, with East Coast Empire Records, and they put out This Present Darkness, our EP, but on our contract, we had what's called, um, oh my God, an option. So the option was for a full-length album. Okay. But we had our sights set on Roadrunner or a major label or somebody right. that... Had the that funding. Could, yeah, the yeah. funding and they could do it. Um, and it was just a really long, painful, mm-hmm. like... Uh, Next week we'll get an answer, and then that week comes, nothing happens, and next week. So I think, like, because of all of that, you know, Tom, um, as well intended as he always was and as as helpful as he was, he probably got the, the, the short end of the stick from us. Sure. Because it was a, a lot of disappointment waiting that long. Mm-hmm. We're kids. We don't know better. And in hindsight, like, man, pretty shitty to the dude. Um, especially how, like, yeah, like you said, it's kind of in a selfless nature to, like, uh, help bands and stuff like that. And we weren't really anybody and didn't deserve it. But, yeah, I mean, he put us in front of a lot of people. He... Um, introduced us to a lot of musicians that we were big fans of Mm -hmm. and um so yeah it has to give a lot of credit to the uh to tom for that um but we eventually parted ways like right around the time we started to sign with roadrunner Mm -hmm. um we went to work with scott koenig who tom introduced us to and was good friends with they together negotiated our roadrunner deal because at that point it had gotten it had gotten fun for us because it was uh they 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 offered us a deal but then other record labels started offering Uh. us deals so it became a lot more complex bidding war yeah and so we brought in um scott koenig who had worked with biohazard and um at the time and but in his past, had also worked with Fear Factory and a really cool stories. He's in the uh, "Fight for Your Right to Party" video from Beastie Boys really? because he wow. was friends with Rick Rubin, and and so okay. he was part of that scene. Sure, he worked with Rick Rubin and Def Jam, so he had a lot more experience with the major mm-hmm. label mentality right. and and that. 
And you uh, kind of need someone in your corner, not going in blind on that whole thing. You know? Yeah. So Tom and, and Scott worked together in, in negotiating our deal. And eventually, like I said, I think that, you know, because of the stress of what, uh, what it took to get us a record deal, mm-hmm. Tom got the short end of the stick with us and we eventually parted ways. But, um, yeah, no hard, like no hard feelings. We mm-hmm. eventually wound up playing a show with him years later that he put on, and then oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that anybody understands twenty-year-old kids, you mm-hmm. know, later in life. Anyway, probably not while it's happening. Yeah, I mean, you got tunnel vision, and yeah, at 20, exactly. You know? We just wanted one thing and one thing only. Mm-hmm. You you said you're the guy that's going to get it. Go get it. Mm-hmm. If you don't get it, you're in trouble. Yep, you exactly. Know? That's that. There is no philosophical discussion like I can have about it now. <laughs> right. No, not at all. And actually, that's funny you say that because, uh, you know, a few years ago when everything was over and all the dust settled, uh, you were uh, publicized on all different websites for being very vocal on Twitter and Facebook and all that about just the, the, the music scene in general, whether it was your time with Roadrunner, Ferret, or, you know, Spotify, all these different things that, that are going on or happened. Um, was that something that, you know, when you, uh, for lack of a better term, vented all of the grievances in the music industry, and you're not alone, obviously, I mean, Randy Bly came to your, you know, you know, he, he said the same things and all these other guys said, said similar things. And we all know really those of us who are in the industry know how much certain companies bone musicians and they just don't, you know, we're, we're, we're not taken care of like we used to be, um, is that was that like a weight off your shoulders when you were able to finally speak your mind without being associated with okay I got to be PC because I'm still in this really successful band yada yada or was this something that afterwards it kind of stressed you out because you're like oh god now I got to do damage control you know or or I got to answer all these fans questions which you had plenty of those as well I mean was that was that a good good thing in the long run or was it just something you know so I think. Um there's two thing there's two factors that led to that. One, Twitter at the time was everyone's still trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like what is this platform? What is the most effective way to u- utilize it? And I was definitely into that trying to figure that world out because now we're in a band that it matters about your social media presence. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is what labels are looking at and to get on a tour? Really? Like how many Facebook followers? Like I, we can't get on a Slipknot tour because we don't have enough Facebook followers? Like what? Like, so... We've toured with them before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Not to say that that really happened. That was just a hypothetical. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, Chimera says, you know, (laughs) denied Slipknot tour for low Facebook followers. That never happened. It's just a hypothetical. Right scenario of things that similarity or similarity happened anyway uh that was um yeah that was so i personally am trying to use my my social media accounts to to like understand it and navigate it so then i could maybe use it on a larger scale with the band so Part two is I have hypomania, which is bipolar, and sometimes you can do get into states of mania where you're like really fucking amped and excited. So I think it's a cross between like, hey, if I talk a lot of shit right now 
I bet I'm going to get a lot of press, a lot of traction, and then it starts working, and like, like oh. I'm fired up. Uh, no, it's like, oh, oh keep going, motherfucker. <laughs> I can't stop. It's so exciting. Sure. I'm causing so much shit. This is great. Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> I had one, I had one damage control, but I couldn't even do damage control because you know the egg was cracked. But so the, the I had said something about what our band pays managers. So right. I read about that actually. I read that interview. Other managers. <laughs> Uh-huh. Or excuse me, our manager managed other bands and did not have that yeah. same deal. So, but hey, I'm sorry that I was in a band that was able to negotiate. What was it, fifteen percent in net, and you negotiated forty percent of gross? Mm-hmm. Sorry, Whoops. yeah, right. can't help you. Yeah. Well, that's just but that's what I got yelled at right. for. Out of everything, yeah, and I'm like, well, I don't really care. Like, not my problem. It's not my problem. Right. Yeah. So, interesting. So, uh, you said you struggle with bipolar. Well, do do you struggle with it, or is that like a thing? So, yeah, definitely. It's not like a struggle where it's like, uh, you know, somebody that genuinely struggles. You know. Um, well, yeah, I got. I actually got classified with the same type of thing. Okay. So. Fun fact for the listeners. Right on. Um, so I do um, things like music, and um, I read that you've done Thai boxing and then something about isolation tanks and stuff. Yeah. Um, kind of interesting. That's, sure. Does that go like kind of hand-in-hand hand with keeping your mind intact? or? So well, definitely an isolation tank, but the um, martial arts is just something from being a kid. So right. when I when I was growing up, on Sunday mornings or whatever it was, they would have Kung Fu Theater, and I just grew up watching that, (laughs) and I wanted to be Bruce Lee. So I started taking karate lessons when I was a kid. And then later in life, I saw uh, Tony Ja, and um, he was just, he blew my mind with uh, the Muay Thai uh, movies he was doing. Right. And um, so I'm like, well, I want to do that. So I just started learning Muay Thai, and just more or less like I just have enjoy watching the sport and i enjoy kicking things <laughs> but it, it does it does help the stress but it's not why I non-living s- thing yeah <laughs> it, it's not why i i i particularly um was seeking it out but you learn that it helps which is cool right. um but the uh i guess the struggles are the the uh, energy levels of being um, really up and creative and focused and driven for for long bursts, and then I'll have the opposite for sometimes longer bursts than I had the creativity right. for. So. I kind of get in that same mode where like I can sit there for a couple days and make the greatest shit ever, and then the next couple days I'm like, damn, I can't even get up. I don't want to sit at the computer i don't want to sit in the studio and actually think of like new stuff um so it's always something that i'm struggling with personally as well um which is it's actually kind of interesting this is the same yeah what you're describing is exactly successful Mm -hmm. um how do you go about like when you're sitting and you know you have band rehearsal that's the thing about like i'm i'm solo artist so i do all my stuff i write all my stuff 
But what about when you're in a group of people and then you're just having a couple of those days you're like, holy shit, I can't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. Um, have you ever been in that situation? I'm assuming you probably have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So in the beginning, in the beginning, I didn't really have it so much because it's still has that novelty and you're excited and uh, you know, the just everyone's creative in the beginning. It's just like a relationship. Right. Yeah, so, sure. um, but, but yeah, I just thought I was apathetic or I just didn't want to, ah, these songs are getting burnt out. Get or burnt out. Right. Exactly. And I, I, I remember before, um, we were writing the age of hell, which is kind of right when the band imploded. Yes. And we had, I don't know, maybe a dozen demos that we'd all written together and I was just basically like every song I heard, it was like, oh, cool. That sounds like so-and-so or that's yeah. that kind of song or this. Yeah. And, and like I even had to step back. I'm like, man, I'm being such a dickhead. Like I can feel it. But it, it, but I didn't understand at the time that I had bipolar. And right. I I just legitimately think like I'm over <laughs> what I'm doing. I hate the band. I hate mm-hmm. this life. I can't. Why am I here? And then you learn what if you learn more about bipolar, that that's part of the, the depressive lows. And, and so I need to be able to regulate and not have not so, compensate for those so times. exactly. And, yeah. and, and try to have those less of those times Right. right. on tour. It was difficult because you'll wake up in this state where you're extremely drained and you're like, Oh my God, I got to play. But when's the show? 12 hours. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you, 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 not only do you, do you, feel like shit and Mm -hmm. like it's like a hangover a creative hangover almost Mm -hmm. and uh but now you're you're trapped in a silver tube in the middle of who knows where Mm -hmm. maybe we're in uh in wichita in the summer and there's a tornado coming Mm -hmm. oh that's fun you know (laughs) let's try to get the worst scenario i can come up with and then everyone else in the band's like in a great mood that day yeah and you don't want to be that guy that brings them down. But you are. You are. Yeah. Right. And I don't know how much how much self awareness comes with the bipolar, you know, disorder. Do you when you first had it and when you first recognized that you had it, were you aware that, okay, my you know, down right now is affecting everybody? Or was it so overwhelming that you don't even it's just you. No, yeah, it's just me. Mm-hmm. I'm the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I didn't know about it, and it doesn't until I understand it, and then I understand that I'm I'm having a negative effect on my relationships because the guys were kind enough to scream at me and tell me what I was wrong for doing. Mm-hmm. I'll I, I'm not the type of person that will live in denial on something. If if I'm wronging you and you're sure. like, hey, you're doing something. I'm immediately back into that artistic. Well, let me. Well, artists are always trying to improve things, mm-hmm. so I'm like, I'm instantly back into that. I, let me improve that for you. I, I didn't realize I was making such uh, an error, and let me do my best to correct that. Mm-hmm. So okay. unless I was told about it, I have no idea. And speaking of, you know, the Age of Hell album, um, doing some research. Because at that point, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I kind of tuned out of the sure. band. Um, 
you know, you were quoted before the album came out saying this is the best, you know, Chimera album that's ever going to happen. We're back to being <laughs> Chimera. And then after it's all said and done, you were quoted saying, this was the worst album I've ever written. I really re- regret some of these songs, yada, yada. So it's almost like it's that almost is a microcosm of what you were dealing with inside. Sure. You know, so I think while writing it, um, so if I look at it as an album that was not under the band's moniker, I'm sorry, did I miss it? No, you're okay. good. You're good. If I look at it as an album that wasn't written under the band name, like if it was my solo album or something, I'm totally mm-hmm. proud of that album. Um, I, I think there's some great songs on there. But the while we're working on it, it was such a challenge because mm-hmm. we had lost half of us. And then it basically was me, Rob, and Ben writing the entire album. Sure. And so we kind of knew we could just reinvent it a little bit. Mm-hmm. If we're going to take a chance, that's the that's, that's the time to that's do That's the only chance yeah. you, in the window you have of opportunity. So we did what we felt was right, and I really genuinely loved the music as it was happening mm-hmm. and we were creating it. I was really into it, really passionate. I feel still to this day that it's some of my best lyrical content um, as far as like how well... Um, I crafted it into, into like right catchy hooks mm-hmm. and and and, but it's not the brand, right? And I didn't understand that at the time of the importance of the brand and the brand sound and how much people were passionate about the brand. So that's where I can flip the statement as far as a Chimera Records concerned. It it it's not up to par and how do you balance that that whole okay i want to make music that sounds like it has and like like that signature chimera sound but i also don't want to make music just for the fans i want to make music for me too it's kind of a hard you know thing to balance both of those out where you're like i gotta fit it with a brand but at the same time sure no you know yeah that's tough because we obviously um like there's bands, I don't know. I, I'm into bands that constantly change. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't like every Cannibal Corpse album, but man, <laughs> I, you know. Oh yeah, you can only do blast beats and low gutturals so much. Exactly. Yeah. So and then they they have like a f- few choice hits that I might like from each album or something. But you know, I don't want them to change. In next thing you know, have harmonies singing. Yeah, that would and be kind of odd. <laughs> it just doesn't work. But I'm into bands that maybe are, you know, some of my favorite bands, I should say, are like a Led Zeppelin, or if you're going that back far that, excuse me, that far back, they're reinventing themselves each time, Mm -hmm. but it's not off the beaten path. Right. And, or I really like, uh, just, I guess I like bands that they have their sound, but it's just a little more expansive. A great example for young uh, Slipknot. I mean, they, sure. they you know, heavy, they, they heavy, have a little, little bit of it different, all. And they, exactly. Yeah, they keep going. And yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it and expands. And I like that. Um, you know, I, people hated the Load era. I loved it with Metallica. Hell like, yeah. I didn't at first, man. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> when I first put that album in it, I was like, what the fuck is right. this I, I literally said that I'm and like, you weren't alone i think everybody no was like that. and i'm then like i remember i was so mad i i, I put on mama said i was i was showing my girlfriend at the time I'm like listen to this 
okay? And it's like this country ballad. Sure. And I'm like, okay, now listen to this. And I put on Fight Fire with Fire. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck did this band It's not do? even the same band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was yeah. so mad. But then, like, all right. If one of my favorite bands is Led Zeppelin, they're kind of they're kind of Led Zeppelining it, mm-hmm. you know? Let me think about it from that perspective. Right. And then, like, now I'd say Outlaw Torn is probably one of my favorite Metallica mm-hmm. songs ever a lot out of their entire catalog. Right. So... I just like uh, bands that have, like Pink Floyd, just bigger, less one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, so with our band, I always wanted to bring in elements of keyboards or samples or bring in um, tempo changes and or ethereal parts where it just, you know, kind of you'd lose it or like in the middle of pass out sure. of existence or something, it goes into a trippy part. Yeah. Like that type of stuff. It's cool to me. Like Deftones will do that, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it just, for me, it, it speaks more in it, to more people. And also, uh, I'm always coming from the movie world, so it's like more cinematic to yes. me. So to have ups and downs and different sounds and different big. feels and big, it's exactly. not so you know mono like that. Correct. Um, and actually, you touched on one of the questions I was going to ask. Is I was just at just what was that? When was your last uh, reunion show? Uh, 2017. 2017. I was there. It does seem like just yesterday. <laughs> um, and it was the first time I've seen you since. You guys were an entity, you know, whether it was, you know, I saw you at Sound of the Underground, World Series of Metal, I think it was, or whatever that was. Um, all those different shows. This was the first time I, I saw you in, in this era. And looking around the venue, it was probably the most diverse metal crowd of any concert I've ever seen, whether it was, I mean, you had girls that looked like they were... They were cheerleaders in high school and like like super popular chicks. Then you had your regular metalhead dudes. You had your nerds. You had all these people coming together to see a metal band. I mean, some of the people there, I was like, are you sure you're at the right place? But I think that attests to what you're talking about is making such an eclectic style of music for all sorts of people. And I think that's why Chimera was lumped into the new wave of American heavy metal subgenre that whoever coined that. Me. You okay? Well, there you go. I, I will take full credit for Wait, that. Are you awesome. serious? I swear to you, <laughs> I will challenge anyone right now that listens. Yeah, no, we we totally coined that shit. So I grew up listening to New Wave of British Heavy Metal, mm-hmm. and, which is one of my favorites. And we were making in 2001 on we were touring for Pass Out of Existence. Mm-hmm. So it's 2001. And we were set change music was nothing but like Iron Maiden and and so then we were like, right, let's make a shirt with an Iron Maiden font. So we make uh, Chimera pass out of existence, mm-hmm. and on the back it's N W O A H M. I think I remember that shirt now. And then it yeah. says that on the back. And then then we did uh, the first CD sampler for Impossibility of Reason. We named it the New Wave of American Heavy Metal Sampler. Oh. And then everybody ran with it. Then it becomes a little genre that we're excluded from. <laughs> That's kind of ironic. Well, for, you know, we get we get that. Then we get we get the wall of death stolen. We get the, <laughs> oh the genre stolen. That I wonder if I could have tr- somehow trademarked in like you know every publication that used yeah. it. Like that's a Gene Simmons move, right? Yeah. He trademarks words that people pub you know use in their publications, mm-hmm. and he gets paid on. I don't know if you if, if you want. I can't. I, I, you know, no, model yourself no, for no. Gene Simmons. Well, hey, I like making Great money. Musician. I'm sorry. Absolutely. You know but. what that is? Being from Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. You, right. Seriously. 
<laughs> yeah, it seems to be a thing. Uh, that we like to make money? Well, no. I, oh. We get ripped, ripped off. off. Oh, ripped off. I understand. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In all kinds of ways. So I'm not going to tell anybody what any of my future plans are. <laughs> yeah. And next time somebody no. says, hey, can I... Can I borrow that from you? No. No. <laughs> yeah, this is part but of again, my LLC. Yeah. I'm seriously not bitter, but I really am. Yeah. No, it's one of those no, things. I'm, I'm not. No, no, I know. But it is one of those things that you're like, man, if I had that time machine. Yeah. You you're know? just like, what the fuck? With, well, the, more or less the new wave of American heavy metal thing. All these magazines would come out. At the time, we were like, we were pretty pissed. Like, sure. I'm like, what the hell? Man? And you're touring me. Like, Lamb of God is a part of that. Yeah. And like, yeah. you're like, okay, so you guys are in it. And we just kind of. Yeah. Never yeah. Mind, yeah. Never yeah, mind yeah. us. We're just here in the corner. No yeah. Deal. Yeah. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you because, you know, I'm pretty familiar with. Almost all of the albums. What what was your favorite? I'll say this. Uh, this is a two parter. What it was your favorite to record, and what is your favorite to listen to today? Okay, man, I don't think I've listened to anything in a long. Well, no, that's not true. We had to listen. I listened to it a lot when we were getting ready for the show. Okay, I haven't listened to anything since sure. the show, except for what um, the live stuff and the and the down again documentary. Okay, right, I right. Heard that, of course. Favorite to record is an easy one. It was the infection. So the reason for that was we were on tour when we started writing it, and it just made tour a lot cooler. Yeah. Like, there's something to do. Mm-hmm. You can go in the back lounge and just work on music. We had never really done that before, so mm-hmm. we we're now finally in a era of technology that we could have a portable studio with us, and that was a really cool uh, thing for us. And a good vibe. And then in the studio, just had a good time recording it. Yeah. Um, I know the 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 video for the heart of it all. Yeah, that was really cool to watch. I mean, not a lot of bands, especially anymore, will do those all instrumental ballads, or maybe like a six where it's some of your vocals and a lot of instrumental ballads. And that's what I really always liked about most of your albums was you would have those, and those are probably so much fun to record in the studio. And I don't know, especially with the heart of it all, since you don't do any vocals, mm-hmm. what kind of input you had on that track if any but that is still one that i listen to in the car all the time just because it's so all over the place that's the stuff i love too Mm -hmm. music um as far as that song is concerned i wrote a few of the riffs but the majority of that composition is rob's um uh it's you can always tell it's my riff if it sounds (laughs) hip-hop-ish if you catch yourself bobbing your head in a similar way that you might do a rap song that that might be mine so dig it dig it dig it dig it dig it that's that's a oh, me that's riff. like the best part of the and then the big bass drop <laughs> yeah that's when you know it's me coming in if it feels very hip-hop-ish okay. but you're not realizing it's not straight up like you know yeah rap yeah, yeah but yeah. it's got that swag that's awesome that's like, yeah, that's, like that's disappearing cool. sun is a me song okay you know it's very okay very like yeah. 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 You're you're right about that. And when you you can totally do this the whole time, uh-huh. you know that that's me. I mean, I I feel like I could do that with the venom inside too. No. Yep. Yep. That's the, so. Uh, it's both me and Rob. I had the beat. Digga 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 gut. Yep. Digga 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 digga. Absolutely. So it's very like. And yeah. Then, you know, Rob will play the the cool guitar riff over sure. it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And the, and that's something that, uh, again, with the new wave of American heavy metal, is you could take any song from any album that you've made and put it on the radio today, and people wouldn't be like, "Oh, this is old school." It still sounds timeless. Oh, cool. Like it's yeah, and you, you might not have that. Uh, yeah, I don't have it. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, yeah right. it, Glad it, somebody thinks. Yeah. That. It's it's it's. <laughs> 
I don't want to use the word mainstream because there's such a stigma with that word, but it's such a, um, I don't know, a really good example was one of the first bands I was in uh, was in 08, I think it was. And uh, all the kids in the band were younger than me. And they were really into like the Asking Alexandria's, the, 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 the you, yeah, exactly. Uh, the whole crab core, you know, the attack attacks, the, the everything is a breakdown. Sure. You know, and I remember listening to it and at, at first they were like what is that where's where's the breakdown there's just a bunch of solos and cool you know uh, groovy riffs right and i was like all right here's frozen in tr- time we'll listen to this right, track. Right, and it's right. got that halftime breakdown at the end they're like all right yeah this yeah, is yeah. pretty sick so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was that was pretty interesting and, and as far as the other albums i mean i the infected for me is the same that's my my answer um first album i heard though was um with resurrection on it sure and, resurrection yeah, yep yep and uh that was uh, that was kind of the turning point for me. And then Roadrunner United, which I want to ask you about. Yeah. Um, I listened to The Enemy, and I, I didn't even... It was like, oh, that's Mark. I was just like, man, this is fucking sick. Because you... you, And I think that was the point in time where I I think I burnt that one illegally. Don't sue me, Roadrunner. Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> I did too, probably. Right. So I, I didn't even have like a... <laughs> I didn't even have like a personnel list or anything, so I just listened. It was cool that way because I didn't like think like, okay, this is this is you know Glenn from Deicide, this is so and so doing whatever. I just kind of listened to it as a full entity, or or this is so and so from God forbid, or all this stuff. And and then I went back and looked at it, and I was like, oh, that makes some sense. I mean, you could obviously tell the Corey Taylor track and and whatnot, but um, what was that? I mean, because a lot of these guys went into the studio together to do it, and then right. some of it was more remote. Did you go? into the studio with those guys or was that more of a back and forth type of thing i was remote so dino and um i think it was roy right and then andreas yes and um paul from slipknot right um they were all out in la and wrote the song okay and had and had the song and i was asked mm-hmm. to do the vocals and i actually recorded them in florida and mm. the reason i did that was um we were starting a tour in florida and I, and Sukov was down there. So mm-hmm. Jason Sukov is the uh, was a part of the pr- production team. Okay. For the Roadrunner United, he recorded uh, all the Matt Heafy stuff. Okay. Uh, so he recorded, yeah, Team Heafy basically. Right. Um. So it made sense because he's already uh, paid from Roadrunner, and then we're touring there. So I just went in. Yeah. And uh, I, I like telling people this story because Sukov, we had met him before, and he, we hated this dude. He like he was so obnoxious. He he just so we're very like low key Strongsville suburbanites, right? right? And, and I understand you guys might understand what yes, that means, right, but right. the rest of the world yeah. doesn't. But we're like snobs in a way, and like spoiled kids, and like get the fuck out of our room uh, mentality. And we're just trying to have our quiet time before the show, and in wheels Jason, like, ah, you know, just going <laughs> fucking nuts. And we're like, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, you know, yeah. get him out of here. Like, what is this guy? You know, crazy. And and so then, like, Monty's like, yeah, you're going to record Jason Sukoff. And I'm like, Jason Sukoff, why do I know that name? Oh, God. And I'm like, oh, that fucking no, guy. No, this is going to be quick, and we're going to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I went down there and. He picks me up and like immediately like I just start laughing because he's funny and like I get the humor <laughs> yeah and like I don't know what we were, you know our problem was that they made him on a low depressive state or whatever we were all pretty pissed though with mm. him and uh, 
wound up like really enjoying um, my time with him and how like talented he was in getting the performance out of me. And then he had played me all of his music. And he, if you're unfamiliar with it, he has this, it's on Spotify. He has this solo record called uh, Crotch Duster. Oh, <laughs> man. It is the best record you're ever going really? to listen to. Yeah. Crotch Duster. So Sukov did it basically his entire self. And it's like Mr. Bungle kind yeah. of music, but okay. like, but him death metal huh. and like, it's, Awesome. That sounds really intriguing. Yeah, you'll love it. Uh-huh. And so I heard this album, and I was literally just floored. It's funny. It's a comical record, sure. you know. But at the same time, if you're listening to it as a musician, you're like, "What the fuck? This guy's an alien. Mm-hmm. If he's doing this all himself, and then go back, it's 2005 when he's doing it too. So way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. All the tech and stuff that you do now. Sure. I mean, that's it, it's it's really fantastic. So I'm like, man, I really would like to work with him for our next album mm. because I wonder what he would bring out of us. Yeah. And because we had always worked with Ben Shiggle and mm-hmm. Ben's super talented, but five albums in, it's like, man, we might want to have a different, a different perspective. perspective. Yeah, sure. So yeah, and that was the first time I'd ever really encountered somebody that was like, you know, floored me as a musician. And as a producer, mm-hmm. and uh, since Ben, so okay. like a lot of times you'll work with a great producer, yeah, and you'll become loyal to them because it's a comfort zone, right? You know, and and I was that way with Ben. I've recorded at Spider a few times, oh, cool. and, and I, you know, I felt like okay, you know, just the, just watching him, just the expertise, right? And so you're like, you almost get it in your mind. No one else can do this, you know, because sure. I'm not, I'm not super savvy with pro tools or anything and and i'm watching that and i'm like wow and then my band goes and records at central eight studios danny coleman uh last year and he's doing the same stuff and it kind of opens your mind that there are other guys out there that can do not necessarily exactly the same but have a different perspective and i think some really good bands will do that. We'll go to a Rick Rubin and then go to someone else and, 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 and some of these other really big, you know, um, engineers. And a lot of times the really, really good ones are the guys that are, have been in these bands because you're spending so much time in the studio. You're learning it almost like an apprenticeship while you're recording. And right. then you can go in and do it yourself and, and help other bands maybe in the next generation. Um, so yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. He brought a lot out of us. We wrote some great songs with him. So I mean, you ask my favorite album, I'd probably say like it would be Resurrection mm-hmm. or Infection, but making one, the making one is Infection. Sure, okay. And both were awesome, like that. Both experiences because he was really something else to to hang out with. Mm-hmm. I mean, on our DVD, the Resurrection. If you've ever seen it, um, if you haven't, go find it on YouTube because it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> He's he, not even like go buy it. He's just like go check it out. Oh, YouTube. you can't even buy that shit anymore. <laughs> I don't even think you can. I bet you you could if you yeah. really looked. Yeah, I'll, I'll meet you at Tower Records. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Fye. They don't even sell stuff anymore. Yeah. Let's go pick it up for eighteen ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really cool. Um, the the next thing I want to kind of discuss is is something that's more uh, recent to you, which is the Down Again uh, film. And number one, what's really cool about it, because I suffer from a lot of pretty severe anxiety and, and seasonal depression. Um, so when you see someone who, you know, not necessarily idolized, but someone who is 
who is always you know on TV or or in music or doing these big shows dealing with the exact same thing that you deal with or that you know people you know deal with um, I think it's very grounding for for fans and it's very um, inspiring because well if he has it and he you know can be as big as he is and do all these crazy things that, that he's done why can't I do the same thing rather than being so down on yourself because like we talked about with the tunnel vision you feel like you're the only person on earth sometimes that's a really good thing sometimes that's a really bad thing but it helps to know that not just you know it's one thing for your friend a close friend you say oh yeah i'm dealing with that too because that's great and you can have that network but when you when someone who you don't know and someone who you look up to says those things um, that's a virtue into itself that, that really, I'm sure you know that you've changed lives, but there's so many other lives that you might not even have known that you've affected just from coming out with something that makes those kinds of statements. Absolutely. We, we have no idea mm-hmm. unless somebody says something right. and, you know, and, um, but it, it, it goes for the same for me. I feel that way when somebody I am inspired by says something that resonates with mm-hmm. me too. So for me to be able to do that back is a cool feeling. Um, it's weird because you don't really expect, like, I'm not like, all right, I hope I've saved somebody today. Sure. Right. Not like a fireman or something, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's more, it's more for yeah. a self cope than anything. Yeah. So when people reach out, it, it's weird, not in a bad way, but mm-hmm. like for me, I'm like, it's a, how do I process it where I'm not like, yeah, man, I know. Yeah, like I'm, I'm yeah, I want to come across. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, like I yeah. don't feel that way, and I don't right. even feel like I did anything. Like right. I like I didn't do anything, but I did. But That's yeah, where right. it, it becomes like the challenge. Right, your, your I mission don't, wasn't like, to go out and I'm going to make this movie to change all these people's lives. Right. It's for me to express how I've and what hopefully I've been through. it can. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and so it's like I'm sitting. Just imagine yourself. You know, you're. Uh, sitting in bed, you know, hanging out, watching TV. Maybe you're flipping through your phone, and you get this message on on Facebook from somebody you've never met, never seen, and they'll give you this really, really long, um, totally heartfelt message mm-hmm. about, "Hey, I just watched your movie. This is da 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 da." I'm like, "Whoa." <laughs> yeah, like what? What do I do with yeah, that? Like, what do I do with this? And I have to say the right thing too. It's yeah, like if I don't want to say the wrong thing and then be like, oh, well, never mind. Or yeah, you know. I, I don't. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to mm-hmm. say not enough. Like I want to. So yeah, you have to like kind of switch your whole mentality. Focus on this person because they took all this time mm-hmm. to write you, and and watch and watch the movie, right. and process it in a way that it's going to help them. Yeah. As, so like. All right, pause. <laughs> you gotta like take time to sure to write back because like that's cool. Like yeah. it's not expected. No, and and you really don't know. Like literally, you don't know where fans are. And this is this is the craziest thing to prove this. I was getting my hair cut from Lamarca uh, the other day, and we're just sitting there. I'm waiting in line actually, mm-hmm. and he's cutting someone else's hair. And he and I, as we do, just go back and forth about the old days because that's also what Italians do. <laughs> and uh, so next thing you know, the other kid in the chair of getting his haircut from someone else is like, wait, what band are you guys in? Uh- <laughs> like, Chimera's like, wait, really? 
He's like, wait a minute, holy shit. He's like just processing it. <laughs> sure. He has no idea. Like, why would we be in there? Yeah. He's not thinking about us. But then, like, something sparks, and like, and then all of a sudden, he's recognizing us. All the, all the dots are. Yeah, yeah, and then like, we're just like, there's a fan sitting here. Like, thank God we're not totally dickheads. You know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, that, like, I've, I've talked about this few podcasts before with that kill your idols mentality, and and there's so many big famous people that seem like great people in the media but then you meet them and you're like this sucks oh really, yeah you know I've, I've definitely had a problem i know that people have experienced that and now i understand that i was on a uh well sometimes touring sucks and you just want to be left oh, alone yeah sure no doubt about it yeah but how many things do i have a lot to of times yeah yeah to take you know yeah yeah and a lot of times it's right wrong place mm-hmm. wrong time man like why are you here at seven in the morning i'm trying to take a shit like <laughs> Why are you here? Listen, I don't, I don't care who you are, or how famous you are. If I'm trying to take a shit, yeah. and someone's trying to bug me. I'm going to be a dick. Yeah, it's like, why are you? Why are you here? But yeah, but there were sometimes I was just genuinely low, and I'm like, man, I could have been so much cooler to mm-hmm. that person that I met. Mm-hmm. And you, at least I, I feel like, almost if I come out of it, uh, that that um, depressive state or that lower state. It's like I'll have that guilt feeling yes. of like, oh, yeah, shit, I just totally wrong that person. And, and, and I think that that speaks a lot to you, what you've you know worked on as far as, you know, your, your mental ailments and such. Because some people that are musicians or actors or whomever are assholes and they don't change. They don't recognize, oops, I was a dick. They mm. almost or, embrace it. Yeah. Mm. It's almost like, oh, this yeah. is me now. I'm edgy. I'm, yeah, you know, it. I'm going to be. And you took the other route, which you don't see very often, which is, listen, I understand. I, I might have screwed up. And now I'm so much more approachable and a better, you know, right. person to talk to. And I can be that, for lack of a better word, idol that, that you know, the fans want me to be. Um, so I think that just is a huge, a really good thing that you can be really proud of because I can't think of on one hand, other, you know, people in your position who would have done the same. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's more of like, I'm not trying to be a dick if I ever Mm -hmm. was. And it's, um, just like my mood that I will not able to control. But again, yeah, sometimes I'm just straight up being a dick, (laughs) but most of the time I wasn't, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's better for me too. Um, and now that I can recognize it, like sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm in a shit mood. Like I need to tweak this before I interact with people, mm-hmm. or just go quarantine yourself yeah, for yeah. a little bit. And actually, that's what the isolation tanks. Those are, are awesome. So, and it's funny. I was just I had not heard about them at all that they existed until I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast sure. a couple uh, days ago and. I guess there's a way to do it, even sober, where it's almost psychedelic. Oh, it's, it's, you, it's 100% you know. is. So my first experience with it now, man, we're almost coming up on 10 years. Um, they had one, I think there's a few more in the area, but the one I went to was in Lakewood. Okay. And um, they, uh, it's for me, it's about halfway through, so... F- so I don't know. Have have we done psychedelics here? Do we all understand like this? <laughs> <Yes>. The fear. <laughs> so that fear, that yeah. like that panicky fear, that for me kicks in like right away when you shut the. Mm-hmm. Um, so Very almost claustrophobic. claustrophobic. Yeah. yeah, but it's also reminded me of that uh, psychedelic panic. Like um, 
and so I remember the first very first time I had to like prop the 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 door open a little mm. so I could see for a few and then like get my bearings. I'm like, wait, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And like, stop freaking out. It's I'm not like going to drown. the bandaid off, right? Yeah, it was a little tough at first. And then like I got situated and about halfway through, I felt myself being able to be very, um, my, my brain was working at an extremely slower rate and I could see and visualize the things I wanted to work on, like at a slower rate. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was colorful. I didn't have. I've never had like an astral projection or anything like sure. crazy. Like, well, Joe Rogan said that he does DMT and then goes in there. And I'm like, You're, yeah, yeah, you are I'm nuts. Not, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not about that life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. But it, I. The best thing I can say is like each time it's finished for at least a couple days, it feels like. Um, like a, a newborn yeah, sensation, sure. which I can say is the same for psychedelics in mm-hmm. a way, but like a milder version. So the the, the tank is the milder version. Right. Obviously, the psychedelic, <laughs> you're like, ah, for yeah. a couple, couple weeks, months, years, <laughs> decades. Sure. Well, however long it lasts you to get back walking on the right side People of the street again. Back. Yeah, I, I haven't. <laughs> I'm still there. <laughs> for sure. Um, my last question um then i'll turn it over to ian um you're you've you've toured with some really cool bands i mean some really big groups some groups that are more niche but still not from a musical standpoint but who are some of the favorite groups some of the favorite bands that that you got to experience especially on the festival circuit because that's a whole different ball game um if Mm. you could single one out or two or whomever that that you were like wow these guys are the real deal, and they're so much fun, and I would love to tour with them again someday, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, without a doubt, Slayer and Slipknot. <clears throat> Slayer being the first really big band we ever got to tour with, and their mentality was to treat us like family right off the bat. The very f- first, I mean, we had just finished sound checking. First day of tour, and hmm. Carrie's like, come on up to the dressing room, let's have some shots. Damn. We're blown away. Yeah. We're huge fans. I mean, I grew up with Slayer on my wall. The first metal band I heard. Um, so we were pretty blown away because a lot of the bands we had toured with previous to that were also up and coming with us. So it's very competitive. And you're like, sometimes you run into someone maybe that's trying to limit your sound. Kitty. And uh, just do like stuff like that. And um, you're just like, what the hell? So... But Slayer were the total opposite. And so what I learned from that is, like, there is no competition. They're fucking Slayer. Yeah. Like, they don't care what you do. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah, they're like, go ahead, blow the tear the, tear the place down. Sure. Man. It's, we're still going to crush you. Yep. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of what I felt like. I'm like, oh, it's a total different ball game from the, the, the real professionals. And I've noticed that all the professionals – like that we're at a level of theirs or higher we're really just welcoming and like do your show do it great uh, and um slipknot was just a fun tour because we were huge fans of the band that was um we saw them in their first u.s uh u.s tour but the first cleveland show mm. and anyone that knows the history 
Is that the infamous show? Yeah, that's the infamous Mm. show. If you don't know the history, this is when Mushroom Head fans were very mad that Slipknot even existed and that they were this new entity because Mm -hmm. apparently Slipknot rips off Mushroom Head or something. I don't think that question will ever be really answered. But I know the backstory, and I can tell every Mushroom Head fan they're wrong. So anyway, uh, (laughs) we're in the crowd. We're Slipknot fans. Even though we're from Cleveland, like... Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. Mushroomhead guys might be the coolest dudes ever. I like Jeff Hatrix a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of their music. I'm not a fan of a lot of metal bands, though. So, hey, yeah, I, no, I told you sure. at the beginning this. I'm listening to Billie Eilish. So what does that tell you about my musical interests? Yeah. Anyway, I'm on Team Slipknot. And uh, <laughs> I'm just watching people, like, throw shit at this batteries band and batteries. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is insane. But even before that. Never in my life have I seen it or will I ever feel it again, the the electricity and the energy that was there in during the set change. Like mm. Slipknot's about to come on. Oh, boy. This 20, 30 minutes between Amen and, and them yeah. or whatever it was, yeah. I've never felt anything like that. that we're in like 4,000 people or whatever were there at Nautica and like... All of us were just standing around like, can you fucking feel this? Like, it was just like, we're ready. Like, we don't know what we're ready for, (laughs) but we're ready. And everyone's amped up. Like, I've never seen to this day. And then, like, the intro started. The whole thing, I think, is sick. And people just Mm -hmm. started fucking annihilating each other. And it, like, the song hadn't even started. I'm like, this is insane. Never have seen anything like it. I knew, like, right then and there, like, this is going to be the biggest band Ever. There's just a some bands you just know it. Just you have feel a it. Yeah, yeah, they just have an aura about them that you can't tangibly articulate. It's just there. And it'll always be there, even to this day. I know they're older now and everything, but it's it's still there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> we're watching this, but more importantly, people don't know this, but Chris from our band Spakuza, he's filming on stage. We were friends with them. Slipknot. Does that film still exist? It still exists. I'm gonna have to. You can't somehow. That, that's like some legal shit. Really? Yeah. No. Spakuza has that, and I believe he gave it to the band for legal oh. purposes, from what I recall. Damn. It, All right. It, but it exists. Yeah. From the stage, so we we've. I don't know if I've ever seen it actually. He might have showed us a little bit of it, but yeah. But he's you can physically see batteries and, wow. and things coming up onto the stage, and wow. and. and uh, but Slipknot were very monumental in that time frame mm-hmm. of getting us signed as well. They were mm-hmm. another band. Um, there were a few bands that were really cool to us, like and 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 listened to our demos. Slipknot actually got our demo, and Paul took it, and then they did an interview on a radio station, and Paul and Clown played it. Oh, that's cool. They're like Louie, we, we and we're like, what? Yeah, right. Like, like they did not minute. have to do that at all. What? Right? Yeah, we're like that happened, yeah. you know, and um so we were like, what the fuck? This is amazing. And uh they were just really cool to us. And anytime we'd see them, we we would travel to go as fans and then also as a band and mm-hmm. like, oh, they're that's Chimera. I remember I think we gave Joey one of our windbreakers mm-hmm. and then like we went to another city and we saw he was wearing it and we're like sick. whoa right. you know it just that kind of stuff for us as a new band like they were really cool to us and then to go on tour with them it was just a, a fun time mm-hmm. like they were fun cool guys and they're and, who who we all see as fans 
you yeah. know, the behind the scenes of them and everything. They're that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's the real deal. And and they're they're scary. Like <laughs> when they get into that I mean, I don't know if they're still this way, but in oh four, uh, when they get into the masks and everything, first off, they didn't even wash them, like no. their clothes or anything. Like, dude, they would bring in their road cases, and we weren't in an arena tour. It'd be like uh, the Agora. Mm-hmm. Man, you could smell this shit for uh, a mile down the street, like just Ugh. dead rat. You well, they know? used like, to sniff yeah. a crow that was in a bottle that was just decaying. <laughs> I, I believe it. And they would they would sniff they would all sniff yeah. it because they wanted to feel death inside yeah. them or something. Of I that believe nature. it. Yeah, they, they were, were literally cute. crazy, and yeah. I loved it. Like I don't, I wouldn't want anything like. But they scared us. I remember one time I get done playing, and. Um, I remember I was sitting sitting on the dress uh, dressing room couch and I'm like just sweating, like, oh, you know, you're just done rocking. And uh, Chris came in out of nowhere, Fen, and you know the long nose, but he's just fucking in my face, like he wants to fight me. And I'm like, what yeah, the what fuck? do I do? What do yeah, I like? like what? What? Yeah. What? What? And he's just, you know, like I people at home can't see, but he's like literally like motherfucker, but he's not saying anything. But sure. he's saying it with his like presence, like I'm gonna fucking eat you, you know. And you, and I, and you probably talked to him earlier in the day. On yeah, the tour we're talking about golf. Well. Yeah. <laughs> and like here he is ready to fucking eat me, literally. And, and and I'm like, this is insane. These guys are absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And like clown would like he hates clocks, and he would take hmm. a bat his bat or right. whatever and if there was a clock on the stage like you'd see him running all the way across and you think he's coming at you with a bat you're like what the fuck what the fuck he's gonna hit me and he's like right in front of you there's a clock boom he's hit this clock wow. and you're like oh my god like wow they're the real deal yeah, like yeah. i never <laughs> we're not the real deal like i'm this nerd before i go on stage and sure. i'm still that nerd while i'm well, playing the real deal is relative, <laughs> but yeah they they uh the the, the a lot of bands will try to do a gimmick and they yeah they yeah We're, there's the no gimmick, gimmick. Yeah, their gimmick is, gimmick is yeah that gimmick is like i think they really that's not a gimmick yeah. they're fucked up yeah in a good way yeah, I, don't, I don't mind it absolutely so uh, my last question um following up on this type of stuff what's the craziest thing that you've seen <laughs> or done during one of your shows during one of the shows craziest i think well <laughs> i referenced this one as a it's just an odd thing i've seen okay that's but it's fine. but it's it's the, one of the more rock and roll things too, uh, and I, I got the crazy one on the stage for sure. Um, so when we were touring with Dragon Force, okay, they're like very eighties, yes. And I don't mean it by their music or their demeanor or their clothing. I mean like let's fucking party, naked chicks everywhere, nice. right? <laughs> So I'm not used to that sort mm-hmm. of thing because we grew up in the era of prison weight sets and protein shakes. Of every band is like, who's going to be fucking yoked on this yeah. tour, right? <laughs> uh, nobody's, you know, everyone's checking out each other's fucking guns and what, like, what, what, it's what? A total different. Yeah, yeah, are you taking creatine, man? You know, like <laughs> helps my stage show. Like just meatheads, and then oh it's Dragon Force. You know, like totally crazy. I remember just I got off stage one time. And I just literally open the door, and it's a kiddie pool full of naked girls making out. And I'm like, huh. And I just literally walked right around and went to my bus as if nothing happened. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? That's Dragon Force. I that I would just walk around and go to the bus. I might no, just I went. a little bit. No, I went. I was like, <laughs> because the type of girls they attracted, I'm not uh... so into. Anyway. <laughs> but the craziest thing on stage, us on stage, is we played Danzig, we play with Danzig in L.A. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we notoriously had bad big shows in LA. Okay. 
So anytime we played a venue that was over a thousand people, we knew that show was going to suck. Huh. We just knew. Just, just. It's always just horribly bad, and hmm. it's always industry crowd. Mm. And there's, and if it's not industry crowd, it's people with their arms folded, like impress me. I've seen it all. I'm from mm-hmm. LA, bro. Like a dad rock band. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> so we knew. All right. Well, first off, we weren't getting like, we weren't getting bad responses on Danzig, but we weren't getting like the best. Sure. And so I was like, oh great, we're playing Universal Amphitheater or whatever the hell it's called now, Gibson. I don't even know if that's the same name anymore. <laughs> Who knows? It changed all the time. Yeah, but it's a big place. Yeah. And I think there was four or five thousand people supposed to be there, uh, whatever the capacity is. And I'm like, let's just get fucking trashed. Like let's get wasted drunk. Like we don't usually do this. Sure. And like like You just already know it's fall down yeah. drunk. Like everybody. Oh my. So we did. Oh boy. And uh, at one point, I I just took the mic stand, and I like I thought I used it like a spear, and I chucked it at Kevin Talley, our drummer at the time. Then uh, I walked over to this giant garbage can on the side of the stage, and I just fucking threw it onto the stage. Uh, Jim took his bass off middle of the song. He just starts smashing things. We Jesus. destroyed the stage. Holy shit. Just fucking left. Wow. I don't think we got through two songs. We, we were just <laughs> hammered. I really hope this one's on YouTube. I don't believe it is. <laughs> it, it would be beforehand. Yeah. If it was, that would be amazing. Sure. But we just got fucking obliterated and played like shit. I don't think we made it through the whole show. Wow. I'm pretty sure my memory serves right. We were off by a couple songs. Did uh, did they refuse to pay you? No, we got paid. They That's were like, that was awesome. Okay, <laughs> the crowd some loved it. Some promoters, yeah, would be yeah like, the crowd oh, you loved it. Played. It was the best LA response we ever had in that big show. Like people were going crazy. Wow. Like oh, they're fucking tearing the you know. Like, yeah, because you had to hit the extreme yeah, to impress yeah, them. Yeah. I guess. So. I guess so. Wow. Well, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, um, I really appreciate you coming down and uh, being a part of part of the show it's something i've wanted to like i said at the beginning wanted to have you on and for a while and um i know a lot of people that listen to this will like to have that little you know insight to yeah this is a pretty informative one i Mm -hmm. think comparatively speaking Mm -hmm. especially about the band a lot of the interviews i've done lately have been more about the mental health aspect Mm -hmm. or which of course is cool we touch upon but yeah you know your stuff, so people are going to be enjoying that, the yeah. insight. Yeah, definitely. So uh, thanks for coming on. and uh, Yeah, in? thank you guys for yeah, having man. me. Hey, man, I've been listening to you guys for a long time. so Awesome. I appreciate <laughs> it. Definitely. And as always, we're out. <laughs> <laughs>